0: The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please. Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her triggered to transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's MindfulMamaMentor.com slash retreat.
1: I love how the stages could inform my parenting because I could say, okay, I'm watching my child attempt to, to get some independence. Mm-hmm. And I, can, I could learn sort of in real time from my own behavior. I could see my behavior helping to shape a child who felt autonomous versus one who felt shameful and devilish.
0: You're listening to The Mindful Mama Podcast, episode number 204. Today, we're talking about your child's developmental stages with Karen Culp. Welcome to The Mindful Mama Podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend, or a special welcome to you if you are brand new. I'm so happy you are here and just... A moment. I'm going to be sitting down with Karen Culp, who is a child development expert, a parent coach, and author, and the host of the We Turned Out Okay podcast. Um, and she is a wonderful, wonderful person and we have so much fun and she we are going to be talking about children's developmental stages and even the stage that many of us adults are in and i want to give a quick trigger warning that we also discuss her experience of abuse as a child and how that shaped her path um want you to listen for some important takeaways about how understanding the developmental stages can gives us parents this really much needed perspective, my goodness, and and that the stages are all relational and our warm relationship is really the most important piece of this. And we also talk about ways to protect your child from abuse situations. So this is a very powerful episode. I know you are going to learn a lot and um, and we do have a lot of fun too. So before we dive into this episode, I want to let you know that the mindful parenting membership is at, at the time of this oh op- is open and we are going to be open for a few days if you would like to join at go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and It is transformational. You get to be surrounded by people from all around the world who are transforming their parenting. It makes a huge, huge difference to know that you are not alone, uh, to get professional help all at your fingertips all the time to walk through the proven stages of the course and um, and to and to join the tribe it is so so powerful we have, Ways for you to join where you can be a lifetime member. That's the most popular way people join. They become a lifetime member and really dive into the work and learn it again and again in all the different ways. We have so many opportunities to practice, as I say. Um, so if you want to learn more, you want to be part of it, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. And I know that you won't regret it. Okay. So let's dive into this conversation. Join me in talking about your child's developmental stages with Karen Culp. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama
1: podcast. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: I am so glad to have you here, and I had so much fun talking to you on We Turned Out Okay, your amazing podcast, and you asked me a really weird question to start. Do you remember?
1: (laughs) I do remember. It was the first time (laughs) I'd ever done that for anyone, and it worked really well, I thought, you know?
0: (laughs) All right. So here it comes right back at you.
1: (laughs) My own medicine. Yes,
0: yes. I I don't think I could ask this question to anyone else. So I thought I figured I'm going to take up the opportunity. So so, yeah. what did your childhood smell like, Karen? Oh,
1: my childhood smelled like some really interesting things. And um, indoors and outdoors. So I feel like a lot of my childhood memories are outdoor type ones. So um, the lawn, you know, running around on cut grass is one that like if I smell cut grass coming in through the windows, I'm like, Um, And we used to have a bunch of woods behind us. The town forest was right behind us. And so there's all the, there's all the sort of, you know, there's a, there was a brook running through it. So there was skunk cabbage and sometimes you get a little bit of that, but most often that was only really in spring. I noticed that most often you just get this cool smell from like the, the brook itself. You could smell fresh water. And again, to this day, if I'm near a river or or something that where, that where there's a really good smell of fresh water, I'm like, Oh, it just transports me back to my childhood. And then, and then indoors um, I was raised in an Italian family. So we have a lot of, I've got a lot of like really good sort of food memories. Um, one of our favorite things was my mom or my grandmother sometimes would make spaghetti and meatballs, just the most famous spaghetti and meatballs that I can, Oh God, it's just, so, <laughs> I can almost <laughs> taste it now. Um, and, 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 uh, I mean, other sort of smells beside food. Like we, we had a wood stove growing up and, um, that first run with the wood stove where you could, you know, that smell of heat, like hot, I guess, probably heat coming through like a metal, uh, you know or baseboards or something like that that has a particular smell and maybe because it's fall time right now and we're about to get the wood stove going we've been cleaning it out and getting it ready in our own house I'm like I've been just been brought back to that sort of good smell of like warmth and safety and heat you know (laughs) Mm, (laughs) my childhood smelled like
0: I can jive with that wood stove smell I grew up with a wood stove too and we have a wood stove now and i i have to say as a current wood stove u- user i i don't want to like break your like rosy glow of your childhood but that first burn is usually like the dust <laughs> Like burning off the top of it, it. I mean, it could. it's actually a little gross personally. To me, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> well I as the person who this this year was like one of the first years I've done this but I was officially the wielder of the shop vac this year and I know my husband does this every year but it was my job to clean off the uh like inside and outside, we, we, we suck out all the old ash. My husband takes out the bricks. He, he actually cleans the chimney himself. Like he climbs up on the roof and we have this, like we have this thing that he attaches to like a drill that like, it's like a steel brush that you, you, you keep adding on lengths. I'm using my hands, not that you can see it. (laughs) Um, You keep adding on lengths to it. So it goes further and further down the chimney because it's like a, I don't know, a 20 or a 30 foot chimney or something. And um, you have to have the shop vac on inside because it's gonna suck everything that comes down the chimney into the shop vac. So um, so we don't, we, and now I, I know what you mean and we do smell dust occasionally and it's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> if we take it, you know, if it's too long between vacuumings or something like that. But, um, but that's one thing that we don't have in our house is uh, a lot of wood stove dust. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I I'm sure all the the other Woodstove listeners are like, yeah, you know, I can totally relate to this. But I imagine that for the majority of the listeners are like, <laughs> they're they're like Woodstoves, what's going on, guys? This is a Parenting <laughs> Podcast. So I really brought you on here to talk to you about your 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 parenting knowledge and to pick your brain about kids and childhood stages and your ninja parenting tactics because you have a, you know, a master's in child, uh, child education and, um, and child development and, um, and you've written books about it, multiple books. So uh, before we dive into some of the questions I have for you there, what, what drew you to learning about child development in particular?
1: Oh, uh, so many things. Um, I, I think not to get too heavy, but one of the, one of the major drivers for me in choosing to be a teacher was, um, I myself was, I was molested as a child. And, um, I, you know, again, we can, we can get into it if you want to, this, this might take our conversation in a different direction. And I have to, I can reference some other podcasts where I've talked about it if if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I was um, I was sexually abused when I was seven by a distant relative in my own house, and um, uh, it it so profoundly affected me um, that when I grew up, I, I wanted to make sure that that I wanted to try and keep others safe. I think is really where it started, and um, and plus I enjoyed little kids. I mean, I, I had. I had fun playing. I had two younger brothers. So I really, um, one of my brothers is seven years younger than me. So uh, it, like, it was very fun to be a caretaker in in some way as a kid. So growing up in the 70s and 80s, I think there was a lot more of an expectation, think, rightly, that like, we would all contribute. And, and um, so I, I got to help raise this kid. And, he, and you know, he's now one of my best friends, (laughs) as is my other brother, Um, but like, so, so it was never um, too far away, the idea of, of teaching. Um, I think it kind of crystallized when I thought about, like, lots of kids go through, when I was in, when I was in grad school, I learned, uh, I did a research paper about uh, child sexual abuse, and I learned that a, a molester of girls is likely to molest, like, 65, people like there's the, it's an average of 65 girls oh my and um i know isn't that nuts and that's a, that's of course of what's reported because it's not not everything is reported and um and there was they couldn't even give the research that i found couldn't give a a good uh statistic for boys because it's incredibly underreported for that a boy would, would report being molested even. And and so this is now we're talking 20, 24, 23, 24 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know since then there's been a lot of, you know, updated reasons. These numbers might not even hold anymore, but I I'll, I'll give you this Hunter. I bet it hasn't gone down. (laughs) I bet those numbers haven't gone down. And I, I wanted, especially as a person who had had that experience, I wanted to, to try to help.
0: You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging. They prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's essential for women. 18 plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18+ Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com/mindful for 25% off.
5: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced. So differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them
0: Karen, um uh, s- <laughs> I'm sorry it's no, such a no, no. I mean, this is your your truth and this is what, you know, what led you in many ways to this work. Um, you know, how are you you are healthy, grounded person. You took this incredible, um, dark thing that, that happened to you and you made it, you turned it into a world of um, benefit that you bring, you know, to many, many, many people. Um, How did you, how did you go about getting started healing
1: from that? You know, it was a, it was a really long process. I, I actually, when I was seven, he threatened my life at the, at the end of this. He said, if you ever tell anybody about this, I'll kill you. And I took that seriously. And I actually put it out of my mind for, Um, between seven and 12. So I didn't see him again until I was 12. And this information just dropped back into my head in the middle of a family party, an extended family party, in a sort of reception line, you know, where you're shaking hands and now I'm 12 and I'm supposed to be this grown-up kid who's, you know, going through the line with the adults. And I ended up, when, when that happened, when I when I remembered, I was like, Oh my God. Like, and I, I had what I now think of as a, as an anxiety attack. And I went, um, I remember going and hiding in another room. Um, and my, one of my brothers, my middle brother came and found me and, and sort of pulled me back into the, the world of the party. And, um, and from then, I think <clears throat> the longest part of my return, you know, or, or sort of feeling better, getting better was, uh, I tried to tell my folks when I was, uh, I think I was probably 12 when I tried to tell my folks and they didn't hear me. And, and, um, it was, so I, I sort of felt like I couldn't, it, 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 a little, it invalidated my experience. Um, my, my mom basically was like, Oh, you know, that was probably child's play when, when, if you think about it, that he was 18 and I was seven. So it was not child's play. And, um, but my mom didn't know that, you know what I mean? So so all through college, as I was learning to be a teacher, I was also kind of d- dating, for example. And um, I, I started having um, panic attacks like at school. And my mom was the one who arranged for me to go and see a therapist. Um, in fact, she, <laughs> so this is a little bit of a funny part of this of this story. I think of it anyway. Um, when I was a, um, was I a freshman or a sophomore? I can't remember. I was either a freshman or a sophomore. And I started, I would go home on the weekends and I would ask to sleep in my parents' bed with them. And they were like, okay. (laughs) And my mom mentioned it to a friend of hers. She's like, isn't this weird? You know, our 19-year-old daughter is asking to sleep in our bed. How funny. And this friend had been uh, very badly molested by a step-parent when she was a kid. And she didn't say anything to my mom. And in fact, what she said was, don't say anything to your daughter. Don't ask her any questions. Just get her to a therapist. And, um, and that was the best thing that that could have happened. And so I, that was before I had declared as a, um, as a child development, uh, student, Mm -hmm. which leads me to believe it was my freshman year because I was in the school of fine arts that year. So, um, I, um, I, I, at the same time, I also started working in this place called the Yukon Child Labs, which uh, that's like a funny wh- way of saying like that's where teachers go to learn how to be teachers. And I got like a, a sort of assistant teaching job at the University of Connecticut uh, Child Labs. And that opened up my world to just the coolest like like we were all included in the sort of staff meetings about why don't we uh, use corporal punishment and, and why, like, what does a child really need to develop um, into their full selves and, and, and how do we teach them to get along and all these kind of cool things. So that was going on at the same time as I was seeing this therapist and, and um, that summer I became a camp counselor, like all of these cool things converged at the same time so that um I was able to, and still I hadn't spoken with my mom about this at all. Like my, you know, they, my parents didn't know what was going on until like my senior year of college. Hmm. Um, But there were all these other really super positive influences that sort of made me, I don't know, just feel like, like I remember being in the child labs and thinking like, these are my, people. Like, this is who I belong with. And so I, I had been a photography major. And as much as I loved it, the School of Fine Arts wasn't my home. You know, I didn't feel like it was my home. But I whereas I felt like teaching was. And, um, and at the same time, I was getting feeling starting to feel better about my own situation. And that kind of gave me the courage, I guess, to, um, to, to start thinking, you know what, this happened to me. And maybe I can protect other kids as a, as a teacher. And sure enough, when I was um, my first year uh, teaching preschool, which was 93 or 94, just after I graduated, um, we had a child who was being, uh, you know, molested at, at her home. And the way that we found out found about it was because she was doing things to kids at school. And it was really, I mean, in a way I was, I was better prepared for what I saw in preschool because of what had happened to me and, and the learning that I had had. And um, I, I felt much better able to help, you know?
0: Wow. Wow. So you're, you're, you grew up with a, you know, normal parents who are not abusing you and things like that. And this happened with this real distant relative. Now yeah. I, I can imagine, you know, Uh, you know, the listener thinking, Oh my gosh, this, you know, this is, uh, this obviously could happen to my child. How do, how can we, uh, how, what do you suggest for parents? Like as you, as you share your story and you know, for them to protect children and, and um, from,
1: from situations like this. Yeah. Oh, what a great question. Um, I, I would suggest and it's going to sound funny, but what I would suggest is that we teach our kids, uh, how to know their own boundaries, I guess is is the way that I would say it. So for example, a lot in a lot of families like tickle fighting is super fun and wonderful. And I agree. It is a blast, but when your child says, stop, you stop. Mm -hmm. And, um, And if, if you, if two kids are, if, you know, if you've got two kids in there on the floor, tickle fighting or whatever, and one of them says, stop, quit it. Um, the, like we, we teach our kids to never, ever, ever say that in jest because we want everybody to understand, like, I really want this to stop now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like had, had I had that kind of knowledge, I would have, I, you know, I remember sort of feeling like, this is weird. I'm not sure, but I didn't feel comfortable. This was an adult. I didn't feel comfortable getting out of that situation in any way. And so, um, so the, cause the thing is we don't want to scare our kids, right? We don't want to, we don't want to tell them like growing when our kids were growing up, they're now 19 and, and 15. And when they were put it this way, when my first child was seven, I, 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 I start. I had to sort of, uh, Go through the the healing process again, almost, mm-hmm. um, and and this it sort of added a layer of like who can I trust? <laughs> I really I really really worried about that. Whenever he was out of my husband's sight or my sight, like who can we trust? And um, we the way that we handled that was we we would sort of we would say to him like, uh, it is fine for you to say no to an adult, and we would we would sort of teach our kids to trust their instincts. Mm -hmm. um and and just the the kind of you know never using any negative language and never ever using any sort of negative stories I didn't I didn't my kids didn't find out about this until until they were much older um and we did we sort of deliberately did that because we don't want to there's a movie there's a movie that has Matthew McConaughey in it and it is about like earth is dying and they have I can't remember what this movie is called you may you may know it I don't know but um there's a part where Matthew McConaughey is is trying to explain to an adult without children how you can't tell your child like he can't tell his daughter you know our earth is dying like you 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 can't say that because you can't you know, you're, you're going to just rock their trust in everything. And so that yeah, was how I want to
0: protect it. their, their innocence to some degree. I mean, yes, yes. You know, as, as, if you're able to, if you're able to, yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And, um, and so, so I think that was a big part of it is helping them understand their own boundaries, helping them understand you can say no to an adult. Like everyone needs to respect your boundaries. Um, and, and then trying to be, trying to to be serious and open with them about like body parts and stuff like that. So um, in the, in the past, it had been very common for, you know, for generations to sort of say, like to use, I don't know, silly words to describe, you know, oh, private parts or whatever. Like and, your and hoo-hoo
0: or something. Exactly. Your cookie. Oy, yes. Oy.
1: Yes. And, mm-hmm. and so we, um, we really worked hard to not, to not do that. Like to, to sort of teach them to say, you know, this is my, you know, my penis is hurting or something like that. So that um, they, if something happened, they could say, like, it wouldn't be sort of a charged situation. They could say to us, and they, they've never had to, but they could say to us, this person touched me on my ex. You know what I mean? Like they, they, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so they would have language because a, a lot of the problem for me was I, I didn't have language. I didn't know that I, you know, these are just things that aren't talked about. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, to try and break through that um break through that barrier and 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 know that, like everything, I really feel like this does get back into the developmental stages because, um kids are born uh, with a desire to make meaning, which we often don't kind of consider. um, you know, when it's three a m and they've been crying for four hours, it's really hard to think about the meaning that they're trying to make. um, but at the same time, they are also born without any knowledge of like, what, what could happen, any knowledge of sort of reality. So they live in this real magical reality. Um, Even if you think about like fear of the dark or something like that, like they don't know, we can reassure them as much as we want that there's nothing in the closet, but they don't know that. (laughs) And so to try and, and give them real language to describe their fears and to validate their their concerns. I think one of the toughest things for me was I was basically told, oh, that was probably just child's play. That wasn't a real problem. And mm-hmm. and um I'm saying that in a in a disparaging way, but it wasn't said that to me that way. As you said, my parents are, are great. I really feel like I kind of won the parenting lottery um, in the sense that they're fantastic parents. They just, they just did not, they didn't hear this. You know, this was something that wasn't on their radar and um i feel like if i had had better words to describe it 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 might have been you know it might have been able to be resolved a little bit more quickly mm.
0: so so give our kids better language and and you know listener you can uh go back to some previous episodes we had that uh with um uh, um that we've had a couple episodes on that we may i'll put them in the show notes i'm forgetting the names <laughs> uh, but so give them the language teach them to know their boundaries and kind of the overall kind of thing I'm I'm hearing is is listen to your kids. Don't just dismiss them. And it's interesting because we've been talking I've been talking about this and um, in mindful parenting. It's like part of part of what we we tend to do. Even just reflexively with little things is dismiss our kids. A kid comes crying with a, a something raw, a little boo boo on the playground. We're like, "Oh, it's fine. Don't worry. You're fine." But that's really dismissing them. And if we can say, "Oh wow, that hurts," if we can listen and see their their problems as real problems, um, at least to them, you know, even if it doesn't feel like a huge problem that Minecraft is down. Um, whatever it is. So let's take them seriously. Let's take our, give our kids some respect. Yeah. 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 So yeah. important. So um, you mentioned, uh, and I want to kind of go into a little bit of the developmental stages. Do you have kind of a, can, can you give, offer kind of like a, a broad outline of the de- developmental
1: stages? Absolutely. So I think I would start off by saying that the, the developmental stages that I learned um, were created by Eric Erickson. Uh, I think he created them sort of in the 50s. I feel like 50s and 60s. is uh, That's the one, like, so far as I know, there aren't, these are still the the sort of standard, like, this is how we teach child development, right? Hunter, does that sound right to you? Uh,
0: that is that is sounding right
1: to me. Okay. So um, what I love about Eric, I actually did a little bit of a deep dive into Eric Erickson in my most recent uh, book, which is called Educating Happy Kids. And um, I didn't expect to. I basically thought, "Oh, I'm gonna tell people about the stages." And then,, um, I needed to find out like when was Eric Erickson born? When did he die? Like, I needed to sort of hear about like when he lived so that I could relate these to, you know, I could basically give people dates and And I found um, that uh, this blew my mind. So Eric Erikson didn't come by these uh, uh, these ways of understanding human development accidentally. He he lived a really interesting uh life as he was forming as his identity was being formed. So he was born of a wealthy woman in um, the Netherlands out of wedlock and and in fact the, the the his father his biological father is not known to history. Huh. And um when when she had him she left the Netherlands and she moved to Germany and so he is this big blonde dutch kid in um and she i believe married um a jewish man who raised eric as his son so they live in a jewish uh part of the city that they lived in and they he attended jewish school and so he's the only big blonde kid in a sea of kids who you know who all look uh, very different from him and so he didn't feel at home in any place cuz he was sort of made fun of in school for the way that he looked and he was made fun of uh, you know, by his, his Dutch relatives for, for sort of being Jewish. Like there was a whole cultural identity problem that he had. And, and as he grew up, um, like it, it was no, to put it this way, it was no surprise to me that he is the guy who, who found these because he really wanted to find out how did I get here? Like, how, why am I this way? <laughs> why do I have these thoughts and these beliefs and these ideas? And um, I just, one last little thought that, it blows my mind every time I think of it. He, he, as an adult decided to, to give himself the last name of Erickson. Like that wasn't his Yeah. I was wondering name. about that. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. So he chose that because he said he, I, I, to me, what that says is Eric Erickson said, I am who I believe I am, hmm. you know, and I'm secure in that. So, so I think for, you know, for listeners, the stages that are going to sort of matter most to, to you, are the, at least when we start thinking about them, are the younger stages, right? So so everybody is born. Um, and when we are born, we have this, in each state, I love this too, each stage has sort of a positive resolution or a negative resolution. So the first stage is called basic trust versus mistrust. And that is when a baby, an infant discovers, can I trust that the people looking after me are going to to honor my needs? Like, are they going to pick me up when I'm crying? Are they going to comfort me when I'm sad? Or are they going to feed me when I'm hungry? Are, you know, are they going to keep me clean? Are they going to um, do the things that will make me feel better? And that, that's so crucial to our human development. And, and I think a lot of times that's, that's overlooked um, because we don't think of babies, newborns, as sort of thinking beings, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we just think of them as these sort of blank slates. And and this is where all that sort of attachment theory comes in, because if they're securely attached, if your needs are met and you're you're feeling comforted, you're feeling held, you know, you're like, okay, you know, I can basically trust the universe.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what we want, you know. And I think the other thing I, I really want to say as we're going through these stages, hopefully we'll talk about a couple more, is that like we're all us grownups are going to drop the ball sometimes. Like we're just not going to hit every single moment of, of trust. You know what I mean? Or, or even the next stage, like, cause, cause as kids grow, they get, uh, they get, they have a need for independence, you know, a healthy sort of need to separate from us and to explore their world in their way. And um, sometimes they can get in trouble because, uh, because we don't want them to, um, you you know, talk back to us or we don't want them to have a meltdown or we don't want them to run in a parking lot because of course we don't. Um and and there are going to be times where we slip up and we shout or we um you know we we say something hurtful or we uh, you know our child is crying for 15 minutes and we haven't been able to address it because something else is going on in our lives. Like things like that will happen and I I try to counsel what we need to do is forgive ourselves for them and try to do better next time. Yeah, you know, thank you for
0: recognizing our humanity. I know sometimes it, <laughs> it's like you can you can get this suggestion, oh, you should, you know, uh, the best thing to do, you know, for instance, when you have a toddler who's having a tantrum and losing is to kind of be there as this welcoming presence. Well, sometimes you might be too triggered and too upset to be able to do that. And maybe then it is more skillful to leave that situation. You know, like every situation is different and we have to offer ourselves some compassion for hum- our humanity so i'm so yeah. glad you said that karen yeah
1: yeah that's so important um i uh, do you want me to sort of move on so up in the so, yeah, so yeah so
0: yeah what trust for, versus mistrust about how old is that That's babies like infants that's and then 0 to one. Zero to one zero to one all right all right so yeah. then we get into so the line, then we can
1: Yes, some of the more I feel like these are the more fun with this is my wheelhouse the next couple. So autonomy versus shame and doubt. This is the toddler year, so 1 to 2 ish. And of course they're they're very variable. Yeah, yeah. Some kids are going to be in these stages for longer or shorter than others. But these are sort of a basic, you know, rundown. So um autonomy versus shame and doubt. This is where our kids are they're either going to resolve this feeling like I have some independence. I can I can I can go and explore this bunch of blocks or I can, I can put my hands in this play-doh and it's going to be cool. Right. Um, and the shame and doubt comes in when we uh, if we are too heavy handed in discipline, for example, um, if I, 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 hes- I even hesitate to say that because I don't want somebody to feel like I can't stop my child from doing something dangerous or, or mm-hmm. whatever. I feel like the way that, the way that uh, uh, certainly a teacher figures out how to help kids have uh, like a healthy experience in their classroom is you try to put away all the things that are going to get a kid in trouble. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So even this can even be like if you have a classroom where there's a runway, where there's like a sort of circular area where kids can run, you know. So um, we had to, when I was a teacher, we had to change up our classroom a little bit because they could run from like sort of the kitchen area through the computer area, through the circle time area, back through the block area and back to the kitchen area. And um, we were like, Oh, this has to, like, this is our problem, not their problem. Mm-hmm. And I think, I feel like a lot of autonomy versus shame and doubt can be resolved with some kind of uh, organizational or like um, mechanical moving piece, like t- yeah. changing something up to the, environmental thank you yeah so they don't have to you don't have to be continually saying hey quit running (laughs) Mm -hmm. um instead there's some there's something else either to direct direct their attention to or something to um something so that they won't get in trouble is what we're trying to do with toddlers is make their world as like trouble free as possible. there's going to be enough times we have to say no anyway (laughs) Mm -hmm. so let's make it a little bit more you know uh Mm -hmm. a little bit more child friendly is, is how I look at it, which does not, I I also feel though, like that doesn't mean we put, you know, rubber uh, stoppers on everything. And we, we never, ever let them open a cabinet door or something like to me, what that means is one of my favorite things uh, was we had a Tupperware cabinet and um, the kids could open that up. Like the most of the, like the things with, I don't know, laundry, soap or dangerous or or breakable things. Those were locked. We didn't think we kept that those things out of the kids reach, but we had at least one cupboard that they could open. So, you know, typically one of my kids would sort of crawl up to it and open it up and like, what's in there? You know what I mean? And they, would. before long I'm cooking happily over here and over there is a stack of, oh, different size Tupperware containers or, or lids or, you know, sometimes they would just bang things together and cheer. And so it's not about, sanitizing their environment to the point where they, there's nothing for them to do to to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. It's more about, you know, what kind of experiences can we give them? So they're gaining some autonomy. They're knowing that they can confidently open that cabinet. And if this one doesn't open, oh, it's because it's locked and I'm going to have to find something else to do.
4: (laughs) Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life?
3: Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Ready. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust, and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.
0: This uh, this is where you know Montessori, um, that prepared environment really comes into play really beautifully, and and I remember learning at my daughter's toddler Montessori classroom, like, and I going out and getting some hooks that were down low so she could hang up her own jacket and making yes. you know making things accessible so that. You know making the so that she could do things herself and you know it was it was so interesting to see that sort of pay off as my my kids got older and I could see like um in a, a family member their kids like they would be always getting jumping up and getting glasses of water for their children. but my kids had a nice, sturdy little picture and they could you know they were used they had been trained from like a very young age and yeah they could and they get their own darn
1: so. water yeah yeah yeah. And that's how you get kids who are competent at pouring water, right? Because those spills are going to happen when it's plastic, not glass. They're going to happen when, you know, when we're all a little bit more prepared to deal with it. I feel like if we if we didn't let our kids pour their own water until they were 10 years old and then something terrible happened, they would feel so uh, so helpless. And that's that's really part. And they would feel I mean, if you think about the shame and doubt. That can come in that way, and and actually that brings me into the next stage. Um, if you're ready, Hunter. ready, okay, go for cool. it, Karen. Which is preschoolers. Um, so this is between the ages of three and six. We have the stage of initiative versus guilt, and so you can see these build on each other. So autonomy, basic trust becomes autonomy, which becomes initiative, and mistrust becomes shame and doubt, which becomes guilt. So when I bet we don't typically think of three, four, five, six year olds as as being able to feel Guilt, but they can, and I guess that's just something to be aware of as we are, you know, trying to help them move through their worlds. So that again, what's the next stage up from like your toddler opening a cupboard and playing with what they find in there? It, that's initiative. So, um, so helping our kids be able to take initiative, uh, know what they can do, um, in terms of like how can they act on the world? How can they create things? Um, And, and if we are not helping them with that, or again, if they're kind of getting in trouble for their attempts, they will, they will start to feel guilty about that. And, and um, I think for Erickson, I think this is really well thought out because we do feel like I I can remember sort of, um, I, you know, I can remember making a mistake and feeling incredibly guilty. I, I can't remember one from between three and six, but I can remember um, when I was for the next stage, which is, hold on, hold on, let me find if I can get the right name of it. Uh, well, I'm going is, through. While you're,
0: while you're looking for that, but I think this is really interesting because I I talked to my the the members in the Mindful Parenting membership about, you know, how a, really a three-year-old, I have just, we talked, just talked about this yesterday, like a, tr- a three-year-old can really, um, if you talk about how something affects you, how it like impairs your life in some way, how some behavior affects you and how it makes you feel. A a three-year-old can really kind of feel empathy, right? Or or even like a healthy guilt for that. And that can really, that makes an, an, you know, that's a powerful, you know, relational motivator to turn that behavior around rather than saying you did something bad. So I'm going to make you, Feel bad and hurt,
1: yeah. You know what
0: I mean, which is doesn't, which just makes them angry at the parent. It's, Instead, that they, they can feel that they can, they do can, can see how their actions on the world affect you, and and that can be a powerful motivator.
1: Yeah, that is such. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because um, it's a combination of empathy, sort of this this idea that now three to six, you're starting to be able to take somebody else's perspective. And the sort of egocentrism of childhood, which is they, so if something bad happens, they will automatically say, well, this was my fault, because they don't have that capacity to look outside of themselves. Um, in, you know, they, they, they have a hard time taking others' perspectives. And so the beginnings of guilt, as you say, like kind of a healthy feeling, you know, when you're living in a, in a society, which depends on the socialness of it, we you, you need people to have that empathy have the the ability to take others' perspectives and understand my my behavior is having an impact on that. My choices are having an impact. And sometimes we do have to feel that guilt because it's true. (laughs) We have to change our behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, cool. So initiative versus guilt. So we can probably support this stage by I'm I'm thinking like having the having you know art supplies ready and organized, you know, in a place where your child can access it. Maybe having um, simple tools like um, I remember my daughter, I get back to sort of that Montessori thing. That there's a Ca- a catalog called "For Small Hands" that has a wavy cutter that you can cut with two hands. and oh. using this, you know, having this. We had our IKEA stool and a wavy cutter, and uh, just you know, seeing these. You know, so offering them tools for this initiative and this this autonomy.
1: Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I have a memory of we had a stool that a kid could, we had a stool and we had a little hook on the side of the fridge that held like a smock and a kid could unfold that stool, um, put the smock on and climb up. And they, we taught them, you know, uh, where the warm water was versus where the cold water was. And we, we have it, we have our, we have one of those heaters that you can, water heaters that you can set so it doesn't go over a certain temperature so they won't get scalded, but still the water can be really hot. So we would teach them, how to run cold water or warm water in the sink and squirt one squirt of soap. You know what I mean? And like Mm -hmm. they could get up and play with soap bubbles if they wanted to. And like, just the, I just remember the, the joy like in their whole body of like, Oh, I can do this. I can do this. And I mean, just the initiative of like, I know what to do with this situation, sort of building that confidence and helping them see like I can act on my world it's so you know so important and, and we don't want our kids to ever feel like they're not agents of their own kind of lives right yeah that's,
0: absolutely.
1: that's, that's absolutely. a big deal all right
0: um i, I well, know our our well, time is sorry it's close to up but i'm just wondering if you give us what what comes after initiative versus
1: guilt um after initiative versus guilt uh, two seconds i've um i've got an e-copy of my <laughs> of my my uh my book here and i'm i'm just going through it and i cannot believe this i'm not finding it. oh the, I, okay so after initiative versus guilt comes identity versus role confusion is that really true that feels a little old <laughs> well i could um,
0: see that as a time i could see that as a time where you're forming so, an identity, yeah. right? You're becoming a much more independent kid. They, I guess I think they talked, like Rudolph Steiner talked about this sort of this teeth cutting age, right? And, and yeah, coming into your power as a kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, identity versus role confusion is actually 12 to 18. So there is a step in the middle here. Yeah. that I am not, I really apologize for this. I'm not That's finding okay. it in my notes. Oh, it could be, industry versus inferiority. That's what it is. Because now we are, we're acting industriously versus feeling, I cannot act on the world and feeling inferior in that way. So this was the age at which my kids started a YouTube channel with some friends down the street. Um, It was long before YouTube was what it is now. And um, it it felt like a much smaller world. And uh, I loved it was completely child directed and child driven and it was called never trust a giant teddy bear. And like, oh. I mean, my, they had this giant teddy bear and they had like, my, my son was sort of one of the main characters. Uh, the older one was the younger one. He was like six years old, seven years old. And he played an assassin, which he, which basically <laughs> meant that he walked around with a Nerf gun, you know, in a hoodie. And, um, I mean, we, it, it felt a little ooh, at the time, but I mean, it, what that meant was that he was, they were acting in this, they were all contributing to a whole project. And, and even the littlest kid who was my youngest had full say in, in creatively what was going on in this. And, and, um, and they, they worked together on it. One of them who was not 12 um, did all the editing and stuff like that. I mean, they, they, you know, it was, it was maybe the production values weren't ideal, but, for them, it meant everything. They were making a TV show. I mean, like that you could watch on your TV. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. It was really,
1: really thrilling. So that's like how that can come out, that can resolve positively. Inferiority is, you know, say like I stepped in and said, oh, you know, this is, this is dangerous. It, It can't, you know, you can't do this. Um, and my, my, what, what my children would learn from that is these other kids can do it. So I must, there must be something wrong again with the egocentrism of childhood, there must be something wrong with me that like, I can't, I'm inferior in this way because I can't, I'm a loser. I mean, you know, to put it in, the, in modern parlance <laughs> Yeah. and we don't want that for them. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I did want to ask if I could really mm-hmm. super quickly share about the stage that probably a lot of parents are in right now. Yeah, go for um, it, Karen. Which I, I am completely fascinated by this. So, um, so identity versus role confusion is the sort of teen years where you're trying to figure out who you are and what you are about, right? Who mm-hmm. who who is your tribe? Where do you belong? Um, and the stage that likely a lot of listeners are in now is called intimacy versus isolation and this is like basically 20s through 40s or through 30s oh, wow. um, and i'm i've always been fascinated with this cuz i just recently watched one kid move into identity versus role confusion and the other kid move out of identity versus role confusion and very clearly move into intimacy versus isolation like his whole direction changed where he was like i know who i am and and i and i you know am i going to be lonely or am i going to find other people who who are like me, kind of a thing, and um, really interesting to watch him go through. And like, I feel like for us to know where we are is really helpful because um, we can we can consider ourselves and how we are thinking about our children from through the the stage of life that we're at too. So that's why I wanted to bring that up.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Karen, because we are always, you know, we're either growing or we're dying, right? You know? Yeah, so yeah. So we're always growing. And this this idea of, you know, resolving this issue of, you know, intimacy versus isolation, I think is really um apropos and powerful, especially in these days this day, these days where people there we know that there is so much loneliness in the world and there's yeah. so much uh so many ways that we' Disconnect from each other through Austin, you know, through all our connectivity. Um, but, but how can we be um, more real? How can we be see each other fully? You know, a little bit more, yeah, and yeah, and see see the people around us and be seen more fully and honestly.
1: And and knowing that other people around us are looking for something positive, looking for for I mean, intimacy doesn't have to mean you know, mm-hmm. you're hopping in bed with somebody, right? Intimacy means sharing a moment with somebody <laughs> and, and making it be a kind and good moment instead of making somebody feel, you know, you can you can flip off a driver who has cut you off and, and likely you'll feel isolated and so will they, or you can, in your heart, you can say, you know what? that's just where that person is today. And I'm like, I don't mean this from on high where I am always, you know, practicing (laughs) intimacy. I mean that I have to learn these things too. And, and I'm trying to live more of what I want to see in the world. And what I want to see is more good, you know, good connection and less isolation.
0: (laughs) So, so these stages kind of understanding that maybe your child's going through, autonomy versus shame and doubt, initiative versus guilt. Um, How have they, how did they kind of help you, you know, go through your own kid stages?
1: Uh, Well, I'm a total geek. So I (laughs) am the kind of woman who my bedside reading when I was pregnant, when my kids were small, were uh, books, I'm, I'm trying to remember the titles, but basically like, hardcore books about like these are the reflexes that your child is born with and like this is how you test for them and um, you know the kinds of things I got in grad school I got to go into um, a hospital setting and um, watch tests like, uh, like for watch an guard test perform. Now again, this so I love how, how the stages could inform, but, um, it was so my cool parenting to, to, because um, I could say, say, you know, okay, really I'm watching my, my child's first moment attempt of to, that, teens, to get some independence. as I think mm-hmm. about, and I can, I could learn sort of in real time from my own behavior. Um, I could see my behavior helping to shape a child who felt, um, autonomous versus one who felt shameful and devil and I do remember one one particular moment where my oldest I came down on him really hard I think he was three and he he was I don't even remember like that's the thing you don't even remember right like he was doing something that was annoying to me and I basically was like you need to stop that right now and and he did immediately and for the next few minutes I still had an unhappy look on my face or an angry look on my face and I wasn't even Saying anything to him and and like I was I was just sort of brooding almost in my in my expression and he said mom Something like mummy. What do I what can I do to make you stop looking like that at me? And I was like, oh my god like this is This is not what I want for my for my child Like it's the wrong way to discipline And so I was able to in again, you know, and we would say now I was able to check myself and think wait a second what is he trying to do and how bad is it really? Like, is he, you know, it's not like he's, I don't know. Uh, uh like I can't even think of anything bad. Right. He's, he's trying to, to gain some autonomy for himself. He doesn't know that it's wrong to, I don't know, crawl under his bed or something like I can't even think what it might be. But, um, if that was on me to figure out, not him. And so I resolved that my child would never again have to say to me, um, Anything like that, like that—that that my expression would show my feelings, and and that once that moment was, you know, once the disciplining had to be, because there's some positive discipline, right, in life. Once that moment was done, we were moving on, and and so that he would never have to question if I, you know, was still mad at him or something. I hated that.
0: Mm, so I I can kind of see this as kind of for you know for the listener you know using these this brief overview of the stages maybe as a starting point to dive deeper but also to maybe help you help you check yourself to or or in other words to help you get perspective on what is really going on right now and can I, can I take a little bit of a different perspective on it? But yeah, I I invite you to definitely use these to, to dive deeper and learn a bit, a little bit more. And, and Karen has a a book where you're talking about the stages. What, tell us about the book and how we can find
1: it. It's called Educating Happy Kids. And it is found at, it can be found at weturnedoutok.com slash books. Um, it is right now. If you're listening in in real time, it's the it's the top one, um, and it's available at the website. Currently, I am working on getting it in audio, and um, I'm I'm gonna have it in you know as an ebook and. Ah, uh, right now it is a PDF download from my website. So, and I just got the cover this week, and I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so, always good news. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so su- it's such fun when you can see the cover, and you're like, wow, it's like perfect. It reflects the book perfectly. So, it's
0: real. It's um, real, Karen. This is I could. Uh, we have a a hard stop. We have to stop. But I, I could, I could talk to you about all these things and geek out on this like forever. So I think I'll probably have you back on the podcast. Some other time we'll talk some more. Oh, I would it's love been that. so wonderful to, to talk with you. And, and I just really appreciate, you know, what you're doing, how you took, you know, you took your, your cards and you, you, you took these ch- incredible challenges and you made them your teachers. And now you're sharing that all with the rest of us. And, and that is, that is the most we could ever ask of someone. I think that what you're doing is beautiful. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much. I just want to say quickly how how much I love that you frame things as challenges becoming teachers. I, I think that is um, it's one of my very favorite things that you talk about. And, and I really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I love understanding those stages and how it, you know, we need to get this perspective on our kids. And I think also Karen's personal story was a perspective that we need to, right? We need those this stories. We need to hear them sometimes. I, I believe that. Um, if you would like to improve your parenting, if you would like to join a tribe, if you know that you're not alone, if you would like to have at your fingertips... Um, all the resources you need to become the parent you want to be, so that you can make these relationships with beings that you are going to be in relationship for life, to make this truly the most important thing in your life, to make it the positive relationship that you want it to be. Then, mindful parenting is open right now. As I release this, um, if you're in the future, you can go get on the wait list. But it's all at mindfulparentingcourse.com. You can join the membership, um, become join our most popular option, be a lifetime member, and 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 connect with these parents all around the world who are supporting each other. And transforming or parenting, so I hope I will. You will be the next beautiful face on my next coaching call, where I get to connect with you and hear your story and support you in raising your kids. So if you would like that, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and sign up. And if you're in the future, get on the wait list. And I, I hope to to see you there. Okay, and I I'm wishing you a great week. I'm wishing you you peace. I'm wishing you joy. Um and I hope this has brought you some perspective and some way of just kind of stepping back. So it definitely has for me. Uh I cannot wait to connect with you again next week where I've another special surprise for you. Something exciting. So that will be coming up next week. I'll be talking to Kim Payne about simplicity parenting. So join me next week here at the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste.
2: Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katiyun Payani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions, all of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.